This Advent at Kenilworth Union Church, Joe and Katie and I are preaching a sermon series called Advent Practices for the Shortest Days and Darkest Nights. This is an idea we borrowed from the Methodist minister, Jan Richardson. There's a little information about her and the source of this material in the bulletins. So today we read the story of Joseph from the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, but unwilling to put Mary to public disgrace, resolved to put her aside quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child in her is conceived from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took Mary as his wife, but had no marital relations with her, until she had born a son, and they named him Jesus. Thanks be to God for God's holy word. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we're talking about Advent practices from the Nativity narratives for the shortest days and darkest nights. If you find yourself in a dark place, first, find a friend. If you're in a dark place, second, sing a song. And if you're in a dark place, get some sleep and give yourself up to your dreams. That was Joseph's major contribution to the Christmas story, right? He just went to bed. I love Matthew's efficient storytelling. In one line in that second verse, Matthew tells us everything we need to know about Joseph. Matthew says, Joseph, being a righteous man, but unwilling to put Mary to public disgrace, resolved to dismiss her quietly. So that's his plan. He just decides to walk away, quietly, secretly, without anger or bombast, in order to protect what is left of Mary's already tarnished reputation. Joseph is at once conscientious and kind. Joseph is at once scrupulous and charitable, a rare combination. Joseph builds furniture for a living. Measure twice, cut once. Beauty and excellence are in the details. Joseph is meticulous and careful, and not just at his craft, but also as a neighbor and a citizen and a fiancé. Joseph learned the Ten Commandments in Hebrew, which he does not speak, at third grade Hebrew shul. Joseph knows what the right thing to do is. Joseph knows what he has to do. Imagine his surprise then when he goes to bed innocently one night and has this vivid dream of an angel who tells him to risk public disgrace and to break every one of his rules by taking Mary as his wife anyway. So you see what's happening, right? God has concocted this complicated, careful plan for the salvation of all humanity. God's been working on this plan for like a billion years, 
but there's one huge towering glitch in the middle of it. What if Jesus' guardian doesn't want to cooperate? What if there is no one to get this helpless infant from his birth to his adulthood? Sleep and a dream to the rescue. Sleep and dreams are good Advent practices for a pandemic Advent. Are you dedicating yourself to these good, healthy Advent practices? You know what? Even before this pandemic, America was suffering a sleep famine. One-third of us claim not to get the requisite seven hours of sleep every night. This is before March. And now it's even more complicated. I have a friend, young friend, who lives by himself in a studio apartment in Wrigleyville. This place is tiny. It's about 500 square feet, which wasn't a problem before. He was never there. He was always at work or at the pub with his friends or working out at the gym or running in the park. He only went home to sleep. But then, beginning of March and including through most of the summer, he had to work at home, and there was nowhere to work. So he turned his bed into a desk. And so there he is, all day working at his desk bed, and when it's time to go to sleep, he converts his desk bed into his sleeping bed, and then if he gets any sleep at all, he wakes up and there he is, already at his desk. This does not work terribly well. And there is no way to calculate the impact of this whole thing on our collective national mental and physical health. Because, after all, sleep is one of the big five, right? The big five sine qua nons of human existence. Air, food, water, sex, and sleep. The staples of human existence. And, in fact, after air, sleep is the thing we can do the least without for the shortest duration, right? I mean, you can go 40 days without food and seven days without water and a whole lifetime without sex, but if you go 30 straight hours without sleep, you'd better hit the sack or you're going to be in huge trouble. But here's the funny thing. We spend one-third of our lives sleeping and no one knows why. What's it for? What is sleep's purpose? Some scientists think that sleep is for memory consolidation. So that what happen, happens is that when you go to sleep, this gives your mind a chance to sort out the day's clamorous cacophony of external stimuli and to file away what's important and to get rid of the minutia. It's sort of exactly what your computer is doing when you're not using it. Sleep is like defragging your computer. Your brain takes chunks of information and places them in larger arrangements so that when you wake up, your brain, your computer, will be faster and more efficient. Or, change the metaphor. Sleep is for the flushing out of toxins. When you're asleep, your brain takes a shower to rinse away the unnecessary detritus of the day. Or change the metaphor yet again. Someone said that sleep is like moving out of your house so the workmen can come in to renovate. You don't want to live in your house while the construction's going on because it's a mess. But here's why this discourse on sleep belongs in a sermon. Here is the theological meaning of sleep. When you are asleep, your prefrontal cortex is silent and dormant. The prefrontal cortex is that region of the brain that's responsible for logic and planning. Someone describe your 
prefrontal cortex as a puppeteer. The prefrontal cortex is what is pulling your strings. Or you can choose your own image. The prefrontal cortex is a traffic cop or a drill sergeant or a CEO or the director of logistics in the Amazon warehouse. And when you sleep, the traffic cop is off duty. And when the traffic cop is off duty, other voices than your own can be heard. Maybe the voice of your subconscious, or voices from the spirit world, or the ghost of Christmas past, or the voice of God, which is what Joseph heard when he surrendered to sleep and dreams, and God told Joseph what to do. Sometimes these external voices we hear when we're sleeping come to us in the form of dreams. Now, it's important to remember that not all dreams happen to us while we're sleeping. Martin Luther King had this magnificent, vivid, compelling, waking dream. Not all dreams comes, come to us when we're sleeping, but some of them do. And they must be important because most of us have three to five dreams a night. Most of us spend two hours a night dreaming, which accumulates to six years over the course of your life. Thirty years sleeping, six years dreaming in your lifetimes. These things must be important. Now, I'm not telling you to give undue credence to your sleeping subconscious. Because frankly, like, like Sigmund Freud did, right? Because frankly, your waking conscious mind, your traffic cop, is a lot smarter than your sleeping subconscious or your unconscious, which can be a moron and full of malarkey. On the other hand, Carl Jung tells us, that if you keep having the same dream over and over and over again, it could be that someone or something is trying to tell you something important. I've probably told you before about my commonest recurring dream, right? I think most preachers experience this. It's a charming little twist on that common dream of students about when they show up in the classroom to take an examination they haven't studied for. In my case, I'm up here at divine worship in church in the chancel about ready to give up to give a sermon I forgot to prepare. Sometimes I've been invited to be the guest preacher on an important occasion in a prominent church with a huge congregation and I can't find the church. I'm driving around madly in the neighborhood looking for this church. Sometimes I go into the church and introduce myself as the guest preacher and the usher tells me I've got the wrong church. This is so much fun. But here's the thing. It could be that someone or something is trying to tell me something important, to pay attention to my calendar and my Google Maps and my important responsibilities. This recurring dream, in fact, is very effective. It works. This hasn't happened yet in my real life. Yet. Knock wood. And of course, the wonder and wisdom of Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol is that the reader gets to see up close and personal what will happen to Scrooge and to everyone around him if he fails to pay attention to that terrifying dream. It's one of the most brilliant stories ever written. Have you been following the story of the world's loneliest elephant? The world's 
loneliest elephant is called Kavan, and Kavan has been shackled in captivity for 35 years, ever since he was one year old, at a shabby zoo in Islamabad. He lived with his partner until eight years ago, until his partner died, and ever since then, Kavan has been deteriorating slowly, mentally, physically, and emotionally. And then the singer Cher heard about Kavan's plight, and she arranged for him to be liberated. She arranged for him to fly to Cambodia, where he will live in a wildlife sanctuary as his forever home. But before Kavan flew to Cambodia, Cher flew to Pakistan to meet Kavan. I got you, babe. Kavan loves music. And so Cher sang to him from the Cinderella lullaby, A dream is a wish you make in your heart. Yes? A dream is a wish you make in your heart. Some dreams you should pay attention to, says Carl Jung, like Joseph did that night. In May of the year 0 AD, about seven months before the first Christmas, when he went to bed and he laid himself down, literally and figuratively, Joseph laid himself down. He surrendered to sleep. Frederick Buechner says, when we sleep, it's a surrender, a laying down of arms. Whatever plans you're making, whatever work you're up to your ears in, whatever pleasures you're enjoying, whatever sorrows or anxieties you're in the midst of, you set them aside and find a place to stretch out in and wait for sleep. And if some faint thought stirs somewhere in the depths of you, it's converted into a dream, so you don't have to think about it until it's time. You have given up being in charge of your life and placed yourself in the hands of the night. Good thing Carpenter Joseph let his traffic cop go off duty, his CEO, his church lady, so that he can listen, he could listen to other voices than his own. Good thing Carpenter Joseph gave up being in charge of his life and placed himself in the hands of the night. Carpenter Joseph at once conscientious and kind, on the one hand helplessly, hopelessly in love with God's inviolable law, and on the other, helplessly, hopelessly, in love with his fiancée. What to do? As Garrison Keeler puts it, sometimes you just set your principles aside and just do the right thing. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. <laughs>